Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and welcome to another episode of Wednesday Night Live. This, of course, program will be broadcast and then archived and available at your convenience, basically forever in this universe. We'll be speaking now about the, the meaning of death in Kabbalah. Death. Death is that word that drives dread into our, hive, into our hearts because it is both inevitable and unfathomable. As soon as one thinks about it, whether you think about your own mortality or someone else in your life, we're left really with no words. And most of many of us just avoid it altogether. There are even theories and schools of thought that believe that most fears, if not all fears, are driven by the fear of death. Some people call it the end, the end of life as we know it. And it is a very real part of our lives. Many argue that a lot of the driving ambitions of people trying to memorialize themselves, in some way eternalize themselves and their legacies, is connected to this fear as well, the fear of insignificance, the fear of not being remembered, the fear of, was my life worth it? I mean, the questions go on and on when you talk about the matters of around death. On a biological and a medical and scientific level, we talk about what the definition, the symptoms of illness, of death are, how it could be perhaps delayed, how it can be prevented, how we can prolong life. Discussion is about more about the things that we observe. But the big questions, like, why does a body and soul have to separate in the first place? Where does a soul go to? Can we connect the souls even after they've moved on? Those are questions that are far outside of the domain of biology or science. And they leave us wanting, and they leave us wondering because it's so much part of, as I said, of our reality. In many ways, the mystery of death is connected to the mystery of life itself, of birth. Just as we ask where the soul goes to, the question could also be asked, where was the soul before we were born? What happened right the moment that, uh, before conception when body and soul met and fused? So life essentially is really two forces at work through this period, the bookends of what we call the beginning of life and the end of life, which is a very limited time. What about the journey before that and after that? And many other such related questions. And they're not just hypothetical. They actually impact who we are, how we live our lives, how we see the significance of life, and of course, death as well. So all of that is what we're going to be addressing a good place to begin, I think, is by process of elimination in a way of recognizing how little we do really know about these matters, about these mysteries, how little we know about life and death. Because even the amount of life that, even the, even the amount we know about the lives we live, the life that occupies this body during our lifetimes, is also, as much as we know, there's so much more to know. What is the brain like? What is emotions like? What really is love? What makes us tick? So let alone 
trying to understand that which has preceded our being here and that which will follow our being here, that makes that for sure is almost outside of our domain. And yet we can talk about it. And the Kabbalah does talk about it. The Torah talks about it in a very fascinating and very disarming, I would even say, surprising way. So let me begin something I've mentioned many, many times over the years going to console people who have lost a, f- a relative or a family, fr- a family or a friend, you always are left with, with a lot of questions. People ask questions and they are looking for consolation, looking for some form of comfort. And the big question people ask is, where does a soul go to upon death? Where does it go to? I was just looking at the description to see if I'm covering all the details. So where does the soul go to upon death? And I was always left wanting, always left empty, really not able to, frustrated, not being able to answer that question until some, at some point I had an epiphany. I realized the question itself was the issue. The question itself is based on the assumption that we, are, we know where it's at. Here's where we are. So we're wondering, we are where it's at. Where does the soul go to after death? But how do we know that this is where it's at? This is just where we occupy life for a short period of time. And after a while, I developed this um, almost nonsensical uh, imaginary dialogue between a refrigerator and electricity. And it goes like this. The refrigerator asked electricity, where do you go to when they pull the plug? And of course, the electricity responds to the refrigerator incredulously. What kind of chutzpah? What nerve do you have to ask me that question? You're a little box they just invented the last 100 or 200 years ago. You generate electricity, you're able to refrigerate food, and now you think you're the center of the universe. You ask me where I go? I've been long, I've been here long before you were ever existed, and I'll be long after you're gone. You're a small little appliance that will wear down. And you're asking me where I go. I go back to my natural place that's not confined and not limited to the parameters of your box. Where electricity resides, maybe beyond time and space as we know it, or in a different type of conceptual time and space. And that's exactly the true answer. And everyone I've said it to either smiles, but you can see something resonating, even if they're in pain. Obviously, it has to be said sensitively at the right time. And what is the point? The point is, the little box, the refrigerator is our body, is our consciousness, our awareness. And we ask the question, where do you go? Where does the soul go to? As if we're the center of the universe, everything orbits around us, and only what our empirical experiences define reality. It's not at all the case. We're a little box that, yes, have, we have intelligence, we have emotions, we have ways of processing, but we are still a little box. And just like we can't see the whole entire horizon unless you climb up on a mountain, and even then, you're still seeing it from a limited vantage point. The same thing is when we talk about higher realities, when we talk about the soul, we talk about electricity. Even. Where does it go? It doesn't go anywhere. It is where it is. We are the novelty, the addition. It is in its regular, natural place before it was confined 
and limited and channeled into the appliance, in our case, into our bodies. So that alone opens up a whole new vista, a whole new panorama of, and perspective of looking at life that we realize, one second, there's a lot more going on here than what we experience. Like I always point out, our primary tools of experience are our sensory perceptions. Our eyes, our ears, our taste, touch, and smell. Sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. What we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, and what we smell. As soon as someone says something that doesn't fit that, those, does not, does not, is not um, registered by those instruments, we start wondering, one second, does that really exist? An idea, for example. An idea, you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't taste, touch, or smell it. Love, truth, spirit. So much of our experiences, I would abstractly say, our most real, most truest experiences are not limited and not defined by these instruments. So you need other instruments. Exactly correct. You cannot go by this perception of your limited sensory tools when you're dealing with matters that transcend the sensory tools, the supersensory. And the domain, therefore, of the soul is in the domain of spiritual tools as opposed to sensory and material physical tools and instruments. So with that take, taking that in mind, then we start thinking about things. Then one second, then we say, hold on a second. If that's the case, that I'm not the center of the universe, and my perspective is not the only one, or let's put it this way, it's a limited one, what is going on in the bigger picture? What is happening in the world of electricity? What is happening in the world of souls? And that humility, that awareness of our limited perception actually opens us up to a much deeper perception because then we realize there are many more things happening here that are beyond my scope or my limited scope using my limited tools. You need different tools. Souls can experience souls. Bodies experience bodies. Sensory experiences experience that which the senses can relate to. You can see something, so it's visible to your naked eye. That makes your sense of sight able to perceive that. Same thing with hearing. But what about things you cannot see, as I mentioned before? Does that mean you can't experience it? It means that you need a different instrument. And the same is true when we talk about life and death. We need much broader instruments, much broader perspectives and tools and instruments to be able to talk about it. So let's talk about it in that broader sense once you realize that we need those instruments. And once you start talking this way, you realize that you can access it. Obviously, the more you master the so-called science of, of spirituality, the more you master the language and, the, and I would say even the experience of the spirit, the more you can relate to it. But even on a rudimentary level, even on a beginner's level, all of us can relate to a certain extent because we are those spirits. At the end of the day, what distinguishes between life and death, whether you talk about from a biological, scientific, or medical definition or not, something happens. I'm not talking about the causes, whether it's the breakdown of certain vital organs or it's due to disease or illness, however you define the causes. But something happens. When death is declared, it's not just the heart stopped and the brain stopped. Something separates. That life force, and you can call it anything you want. You can call it energy, you can call it electricity, you can call it soul. In some way, has separated from the body. Upon conception, they connect. The, the fetus begins to develop, the cells begin to multiply, the fetus develops, and then you have, after nine months, a healthy, hopefully healthy child. That child will live its life, a spirit within a body, 
joined as one, fused as one, you can't even separate the two, and it will age. Life will take over, meaning, yes, the body may wear down, and that energy continues to maintain until the moment of death, let's hope, at 120 years, and they separate again. So that soul energy, that electricity doesn't disappear. It's just no longer bound to the refrigerator, to the container, to the box called the body. The body, on the other hand, wears down, ages, and ultimately the soul leaves it. And that's what we call death. Separation of body and soul. Separation of matter and energy. If that works better. But it's the same idea. So the question now is, and let's now, I'm going to quote some biblical verses. So one second, let's explain the, the logic, the science, the anatomy of death. Why should death happen? So the way I just explained it is because the body wears down, it ages, and like any appliance, the refrigerator won't last forever. The electricity lasts forever. It may not last in this appliance, but the electricity doesn't disappear. You can keep generating new energy, and even old energy can be used. Energy never dissipates. And we know for today that even matter doesn't dissipate. It just turns into an energy. So when you say you take a piece of wood and you shape it into a, into a table, the wood now just changed the state. It's changed. It's, it's, a, it's a different state now than it is. Then you take that table, and let's say after time the table wears down, breaks. You decide to use the wood to put it into a fireplace. So the wood then is now used as fuel. The wood turns into energy. And then energy warms and illuminates. And then even when the fire burns out and the wood is no longer there, it's just turned into some form of gas, some form of energy. It may not be contained any longer in the fireplace after it's burned out, but it still never disappears. It's again changed its state. The easiest example is think of gas, liquid, and ice. Water, H2O. Standing water, still water, or regular water, is fluid. You freeze it, it turns into ice. You heat it, it turns into gas. And you can reverse this process many, many, many times, forever. Someone didn't know. They'd see here is gas, and here is liquid, and here is ice. They think three different, three different entities. Not three different entities. One entity, three different stages, three different states. So you can say the same thing. Soul before it enters the body, before birth, conception is an energy without a body. Think of it like the gas without substance. Then when it enters a body, it's another state. The soul and body come together. So now it has some type of tangible, you can see it, you can see a live human being. And then upon death, they separate again. The soul goes back to its state of gas, using that analogy, that state of energy. So it's those different states. So the question is, why then does death take place? Based on this principle, is because the body cannot contain the soul forever, because the body is subject to the laws of mortality, and the laws of deterioration, of, of breakdown, erosion, and ultimately death, the end, of, the end of the body's capacity to contain the soul. And that's indeed the story. When you look in the Bible, in the story of Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it says, had they not eaten from the tree of knowledge, they would have lived forever. Interesting statement. That means death is an aberration. Why? Because why should a soul and body ever separate? A soul has endless amount of energy. It's not going to run out of energy. It's not like gasoline, the car runs out of gas. So it has an endless amount of energy. The body, 
is a container. So think of a cup. You fill a cup with water. Barring the effects of evaporation, is there any reason that the water should ever disappear? Why should it disappear? The only way is possible if you either pour out the water or you puncture the cup. And that's exactly the way the Bible understands it. The body, in its original form, created in the divine image, was a perfect container, seamlessly fused with its energy, with its soul. And together they can live forever. Basically, an appliance that would not wear down. But sin, transgression, not aligning ourselves to what the purpose of our lives is, meaning living a life and making a mistake or making an error, and misaligning the body from the soul, what happens? The body then is no longer aligned with its energy. So at some point, those punctures will cause the energy to have to leave because the body can, is not in healthy shape. So a body that is aligned, meaning it's focused on its purpose, is a body that can then receive that purpose, which is its soul. A body that begins to live a life of its own, with its own agenda, with its own ego, with its own consciousness, independent consciousness ultimately has wandered away from its purpose and therefore from its soul. And at some point that body will be subject, well, it's immediately subject to aging and slowly as the, as the person ages, the body will break down and not be able to contain the soul and hence the reason for death. That is why from a point of view of the biblical perspective, resurrection, the idea of re resurrecting the body is not such a miracle. In the words of the Talmud, if God could create something that wasn't there in the first place, he can definitely take something that was there and bring it back to life. Today, with the concepts of the ideas of DNA and other, another, uh, another scientific facts, it's not that difficult to conceive that we can take the energy, the DNA, and perhaps resurrect something. It hasn't yet been done, but we already have the science fiction of it, whether it's Jurassic Park or books like the, called The Science of Resurrection and so on. Because the fact of the matter is, death, we know today there's no such thing as complete disappearing. Everything turns into energy. So why can't energy be reversed and turned into matter if we know how to do it? So the point being is body and soul, even though they do separate, that does not mean they cannot rejoin and reunite. It's not really the scope of our discussion. I just wanted to put it in the full context. So in this, con in this context, death then is really the cessation of a stage in life because the body can no longer continue its journey with the soul in an intact way due to human error, due to human wandering off and hijacking the, your life for a purpose, for for filling, for living indulgently, or living in ways that are not aligned to the soul's purpose. So, of course, a soul that a body is not aligned to a soul's purpose will not be able to coexist with it. Now, materialism is not a bad thing. Materialism is not an evil as in, in itself. It becomes destructive when it becomes an end in itself. If a person eats and drinks, and lives their material lives without purpose meaning without direction, without living, sanctifying it, and directing towards higher, higher end, which is to live a more constructive life, a virtuous life, then yes, those material poor forces become essentially the root of illness, disease, and death. But remember, because death in this context is not just physical death. Biological death is the end result of spiritual death. What is spiritual death? A body that's not aligned with its purpose. 
So even if we're healthy human beings, walking around, breathing, and thank God everything is functioning, you can also feel like a zombie, feel like I'm no direction, no aimlessness, emptiness, life filled with anxiety, fear, insecurity. All that contributes to a sense of like, you know, I don't feel alive. I feel, yes, I'm physically alive, but I don't feel fully alive. Passion is lacking. Love is lacking. All that are indicators of a situation where you're already experiencing a small taste of spiritual death. Whereas a person who's aligned, what does an aligned life mean? Aligned life means that your biological, your physical life is a container, is like a, a, uh, a vehicle for your spiritual journey. So then when you eat a meal, you drink a drink, you go to work, you commute, most mundane matters are all stepping stones for spiritual development for spiritual growth and higher consciousness then your body is aligned with the soul so you'll say well then why shouldn't why does that person die so the talmud addresses that it says once the toxins were released by the dissonance created by the tree of knowledge sin of the tree of knowledge that has affected everybody so even if a person lives a meaningful life even if a person lives a purposeful life a soulful life they still don't have the perfection that's necessary until we repair it and the entire world will experience a new type of consciousness. So the fact is that toxins released back then affected all of us. What we try to do is correct it by living material lives that are aligned with our spiritual lives, hence called a life of, of, of a real life that is alive, that you're alive. Not just breathing, not just functioning or surviving, but passionately alive with purpose. And that repairs the punctures, firstly in your own life and those in others. And collectively, when that will happen, then soul and body will be able to live side by side, yes, forever. And it's not that crazy if you think about it. Because why shouldn't they be together? So the challenge we have is how do we live that type of spiritually, spiritually dynamic life that's the reason that it says the righteous, even when they're, they're deaths, they're called alive. The wicked, even in their lifetimes, they're called dead. How could you say that? Because death and life are not just defined by biological life. It's not just defined by the vital signs. It's defined by meaning, by purpose, a life of virtue, a life of love, life of giving, where people who are around you feel, I, I feel alive when I'm around this person. They're living a life of spirit, spunk of energy of passion so you can live a life and you can live a life and that type of life is touches the eternal and that's why a person like that even when they pass away the spirit that they live by lives on forever someone who's never lived a spiritual life and all they lived was indulging or only their only successes were material ones so what happens when materialism ends their successes end. Now, can we say that there's a person on earth that does not have any legacy, family, love? It's hard to imagine. But there's definitely me there's measure. There are people whose entire lives were soulful lives in their bodies. So you can imagine that person lives on in their students, in their legacies, in their teachings, in the people they've touched and influenced. Just like parents live on through their children. In the expression of the Talmud that talks about Jacob, why does it not say the word death when it comes to Jacob? It says because Jacob didn't die. But they say, but they buried him. They eulogized him. They embalmed him. So it says, as the externals, 
But just as his children are alive, so too he's alive. But that's dependent on two things, that he left a legacy for his children to follow and that his children actually follow that. It's contingent on that. Because if the children don't follow it, with what is he alive? Just because they're walking around on earth? Yes, there's a certain extension. But we're talking here about living up to the standard, to the values, to the legacy that this person, this Jacob or whoever it may be, left. And that's the story of our lives. That's why death is such a tremendous lesson. It's painful and horrendous. But it's a tremendous lesson to life because it's reminding us of something. That's why it says that when a person of God forbid experiences a death of a family member, they shouldn't be callous and see it as, oh, it happened. They to take, the living shall take to heart. See it as a wake-up call. Why is it a wake-up call? You're not at fault for that person dying. But in some ways, we're all at fault. We're all collectively connected. And it's when someone close to you, so it reminds you of the dissonance between matter and spirit. That's what death is. Dissonance between matter and energy. So what are you supposed to do? Take it to heart and reconnect matter and energy. Do something in spirit and memory of that loved one. Ground them, bring them back to life through good deeds, through activities. As the children are alive, so too that person is alive. So this isn't just a theoretical discussion. It actually has real implications. Real implications in how we live our lives. And not just the fact that, oh, you know, mortality reminds me I should live my life because tomorrow may be my last day, like the, the, the famous book, The Last Lecture. You know, a person writing, what would you write, what would you say if you knew this was your last day? That's one thing that reminds us to, be, to, to focus on priorities. But there's something much deeper than that. What's deeper than that is the idea that Death reminds us of what life is really all about, that there's a dissonance that we're here to repair, and we can repair it every moment of our lives. And essentially, that's exactly right. You bring life to life when you live a life of meaning and purpose and higher consciousness. Because what you're doing is battling the decay the callousness, you could say even the hollow, the death of materialism. Materialism by definition is dead. This world, this materialistic world is dead. Not because it's dead, because it will die one day. But as the, the, as the Hasidic masters explain, if something dies one day, it means right now it's dying. What do you look at materialism? Look at it. Everything about it is mortal. Everything about it has a beginning and an end. Yes, it's true, it goes through different stages and states. But materialism, by definition, dissipates. It occupies time and space, and, and it is mortal, and limited, and temporary. Spirituality, by definition, is eternal. Values, love, these things do not, are not subject to death because they're not subject to birth. They don't have a beginning, therefore they have no end. So in our lives, we have the two choices. Will we live by our bodies, by our material lives, or by our spiritual lives? And death is a reminder all the time of that split, of that dissonance, that disconnect that we are here to repair. So when you think of it from a Kabbalistic perspective, what is death? The Kabbalists would say death is the disconnect between spirit and matter. On a subtle level and in the broadest way, it's actual physical death as we experience it. The pain of it is of the separation. Not the soul will 
I'm not, the soul will journey on. The soul will journey, will journey here till now and the journey will journey on. It's the connection. We want the soul's connection to the body. We want the soul's connection to people that knew, to the connection to us. So then in asking the question, can we connect? Of course we can connect to those souls. By living in their spirit, you're connecting to them because that journey continues and began long before we were born. So our birth, our conception, our birth, and the lifetimes we lived is one stage of the soul's journey. This is how we look through the lens of the spirit, of the lens of the soul. You look through the lens of the body, you see a very different reality. What you see is not what you get, obviously. When you look around, you see you know, a bunch of objects. I see a sky, I see birds, I see people. On a ostensible surface level, it looks very um, limited. But today, you don't even need faith any longer to know that beneath the surface is brimming with energy. There's no such thing as something that is dead. Once upon a time, there was no human being in this room and no other life force. We'd say it's inanimate. It's a dead room. There's a lot of objects in it. No one says that today. First of all, it's brimming with subatomic energy all the time. And there's bacteria, and there's life forms that we cannot see. Today, look at, a cell, look at cell phones and so on. There's an energy, there's um, sound waves, air waves, light waves, microwaves, red, ultra, um, ultraviolet, infrared, and so on. X-rays. So no one's going to make a claim that only what I see is what I get. It's not correct. There are many, many more forces that beneath the surface, and many we don't even know about yet. So that's a given, and including in the human being, what you see, if a person is, is inanimate, is let's say physically, God forbid, dies after 120 a corpse, is that really dead? Is the body dead? Yes, we declare death, because the soul and body have separated, but the body has many of organisms that are still alive. And even when the body decomposes, God forbid, it still has forces in it. And we know today the DNA does not die. And cells, some of them die, some of them don't. So when you look on that level, we know there are things that live on. They live on a completely different form. But this doesn't need pure faith any longer. What faith includes is that there's also a divine picture. There's a bigger picture to it all, the meaning behind it all. Not just there's energies everywhere, but we can actually connect to those energies. We can realign ourselves to those energies and reconnect body and soul. On a very subtle level, this is subtle or not so subtle, you meet someone, I'll just, uh, just use a, 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 an example, recent one that happened with me. Met someone who really felt empty, aimless, doesn't know where they're going with their lives, not motivated, not even interested in a relationship anymore, has been resigned, given up, and asking me for some help. I say, why do you come to me? Whenever I'm around you, the person tells me, and this is not to toot my horn, I feel alive, I feel your life. I see you live passionately, you have purpose, you're excited, you're, you're, you're enthusiastic. So I say, does it rub off at all? Yeah, by being around you, I feel that way. So I said, but you also have what it takes. You were sent here for a purpose. Why don't you live up to that purpose? Start small steps. My point is, the fellow followed. This is a long story. I'm just telling the short of it. it. Took time, 
But I suggested a few things. He was a very good communicator. So I told him, start writing something. I sent them some people to speak to. He should speak to. What happened was, as his talents began to emerge and he began to build confidence, that was the key. He began to feel value. He began to feel alive again. And he said those words, I feel alive again. It still struggles. There are challenges. I'm not going to go into the whole analysis of it. But all of us have moments, or more than moments, where we feel what's called low, the low, the, the low, um, the pilot flame is on, but it's at the lowest possible maintenance level. That means you're not living a fulfilled life. That means that you're not fully alive. Yes, you're functioning and surviving, and you may even be successful in some ways, but there's a part of you that may feel dead. What means dead? Not motivated, not driven. Many of the dreams and aspirations may have been dampened or even eliminated. We've had losses, disappointments, betrayals, abandonments. I can go on and on with the different factors that kill part of us. And we feel like we're killed. Remember this, nothing is ever dead. You may feel that way. And you may even be contributing to it because you're projecting. But everything can be resurrected. Everything can be revived. You have to find something in your life that ignites your spirit. And the best is to find something that you're good at. And you see people value. That tremendous, that's a tremendous nourishing and nurturing factor. That nourishment, that nurturing, brings you alive. It's like a flower that's wilted and seems like close to dead, but then you pour water and slowly care. And you slowly start seeing, slowly, slowly, the petals begin to flutter. You can see life coming back into it. Now you say, how do I know? Maybe there are situations where, you know, the flower is dead, and that's it. Got to get new flower. Well, a flower is a flower, but a human being is more complex than a flower. The spirit does not die. As long as you're alive, your soul is waiting to be nourished. It's waiting to be watered. And it's watered in many ways. One is by using your skills and talents to help people. Another is by understanding and studying about your soul, becoming aware of your soul and its strengths. Another is by kindness, virtue, charity. These are ways you exercise. This is how you water the soul, how you nourish your soul. There are real methods. So if a person's not ready to do that, that's like saying, I'm not ready to water my flower and I expect my flower to blossom. It doesn't work that way. So we cannot give up on ourselves and we have to remember there's a soul in here somewhere. And that soul can be brought alive in ways that you'd be surprised. Do not give, ever give up on yourself. And yes, another way is being around people that are that way. It becomes contagious. It's like an incubator where you incubate by osmosis. You pick up from others confidence, courage. And very often that's what it comes down to. It's not that we don't have it. We don't believe we have it. Or we don't believe that we have the strength or courage to access it. And that's what I'm here to, 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 to challenge. Never, ever give up on yourself. And find people who believe in you. It's very easy to find people who don't believe in you and just feed your, your low self-perception and low self-esteem. And then it becomes a vicious cycle. You know what? Too late for me. There's no such thing. Period. And I know that because your soul is alive. You may not be feeling it, you may not be aware of it, but others are aware. And the best way is not to wallow and not to percolate in your own misery, in your own resignation, in your own hopelessness. 
Because then you're feeding the beast. You're feeding all the forces that actually make the flower wilt and make the flower thirsty and hungry and parched. And you want to revive it. And reviving requires watering, and watering requires action and speech and good thoughts and a mindset and a heart set. And that's what we're here to talk about. That's why we do this class. That's why I do everything I do is to feed, to help develop those tools and life skills necessary to feed the soul, to nourish it, to make it come alive. That's the way we fight death. So many people have tried to conquer death. The pharaohs of old, by building pyramids and burying themselves when they died with their brides and live families, they thought that was their way. Cyrogenic freezing is a modern way. The fountain of youth, maybe the cosmetic industry, Everybody's trying to preserve youth. You want to know how you preserve youth? You want to know the real secret? Feed your soul. Your soul never dies. It only grows, it only gets younger, actually. and more vibrant, the more you feed it. And when you feed the soul, the soul feeds the body. That means can we conquer physical death? Perhaps not directly. But you can conquer spiritual death. You can, to some extent, even physical death. And definitely... Prepare yourself to the point in time where the dissonance will disappear. And we will then again fuse and unite the two, matter and spirit, body and soul. So the Kabbalistic view on death, the meaning of death in Kabbalah, actually it's a very, very, I would say, surprising perspective. It doesn't take away from the pain, but it gives a whole different viewpoint on it. Dissonance, interesting. It's a dissonance, it's a separation. And we can do something about it. It's not just some fatalistic reality. And that's exactly what for thousands of years the Jewish people did. They fought death by embracing life. Even when they experienced death, even when they experienced being killed, they fought darkness with light, they fought death with life, the love of life, the commitment to life. And many ways have changed the world that the world sees life differently today. Life is more than just biological life. Life is a life of meaning, a life of virtue, a life of justice. A kind life, a gentle life. And that lives on. And that impacts even the body because the body goes along. It's a vehicle, a channel for our expressing our soul's aspirations. The Meaningful Life Center, as the name suggests, Meaningful Life. Not just a life, but a life of meaning, a purpose. A life that is driven by a higher calling. That's what we do. We consider it to be the single most important ingredient in a person's well-being and health. Because when you have a life of purpose, then you and all your actions and your choices matter. When a person does not have a life of meaning, then everything becomes negligible. Everything becomes optional. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Meaning, you're needed. And everything you do is needed. And your choices matter now and forever. And not just to you, but to the world around you. And every move you make, positive move, sends a ripple effect that vibrates throughout the entire universe. That's our driving ethos. So please join us. Partner with us in every way possible. Sharing these ideas. Supporting us suggesting ideas every possible way that a partnership works 
Go to MeaningfulLife.com, a full array of resources in living a meaningful life, a full life, a life that's more powerful than death, a life that fights death and, dis- and dissonance and all forms of disconnect. May everybody have a very meaningful life, a very meaningful week, a living, vibrant, dynamic life. We're now in a period in time in the Jewish calendar, the saddest period, where dissonance is what we honor with the objective of repairing the breach in the wall, in the temple, in our, in, in our, in our inner temple, in our inner psyche, repairing all breaches by discovering the real purpose of our lives. Commit to studying something, to reading something, to feeling it, prayer, and finally acting on it. Everyone have a very blessed week. We're here every Wednesday, 8.30. All these programs are archived and available, and you can download them as podcasts and iPod. On your uh, iTunes, I'm sorry, and all other platforms, social platforms, social media platforms, be blessed. It's always an honor to share a few words of intersecting souls. The greatest dignity of all is the journey of the soul. Thank you so much.